little too close to home sometimes to experience that. Um, what'd you guys see? Let's say, actually, actually, I wish that we were a little, you know, in a smaller group here. I'd love, but let's, I'd love to have just some interaction from you guys. What, what did you see in this drama? Disconnection. Disconnection. Good. Anger and hurt. Okay. She's so caught up in her own pain and can't express it. Yeah. Lack of vulnerability. Interesting. What's that? Rebellion. Bitterness. Okay. And blaming. Hatred. And pride. Very interesting. What didn't you see? <laughs> Love. Okay. <laughs> All right. So there we go. I mean, um, this is so reality, you guys, uh, too much of the time. And, and uh, anybody ever experienced conflict like this in your life? Anybody ever have this? Okay. Four of us. This will be a very relevant message. Uh, you know, it's, it's hilarious because um, in the home that I grew up in, there wasn't a whole lot of conflict. If I, as an adult... As I started to get a little bit older, I look back and I realized that most of the time we were a family that just kind of like slid everything under the, under the carpet, under the rug, and it just didn't really exist. How many of you guys grew up in a family like that, where you just didn't have conflict, you didn't face it, and you put it up? Seriously, I want, go ahead and raise your hand. I, really, I, I just want to see this, okay? Very cool. Um, secondly, is how many, some families, though, are just the opposite, and conflict is a normal part of the family, all right? How many of you grew up in a family like that, where conflict just flew around all the time? All right, all the Italians just rose their hand. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, so that was interesting, because that was about 50-50 right there. That's, that's, that's pretty interesting. Now, I will say, actually, though, when I thought about it, I had conflict like mad with my brothers and sisters. Anybody? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy. I think God gives us siblings just to learn how to fight. I, I think that's why we uh, have them. Um, but I was starting to think, what actually causes conflict? I mean, when you think of the word, uh, the first thing that has to happen is proximity. The, it, somehow, you actually have to be somewhat close to each other, have some sort of engagement with each other, so that the conflict can actually take place. But then really, the other thing that causes conflict is when there's two opposing, and I think that's the word, opposing, either desires, two opposing ideologies or beliefs, Sometimes it's just two different ways of doing things, two different opinions, and sometimes just two different ways of seeing things. But what you can always know about conflict is basically what's happening is two different people are coming at it at an opposition. And when you meet each other and you have proximity with each other, it causes conflict. So basically, proximity and opposing desires, if you're alive and you get next to another human being, you're going to have conflict. There is no way to get around it. And that's why living in this world, to do this series today and say, living in two worlds, we all live in this world and we all experience it. Now, here's what's interesting, is sometimes conflict can be unbelievably painful and unbelievably hurtful. And it can cause scars that last a person's lifetime. When that happens, I think conflict also causes things to be unproductive uh, you know, being a sports guy, I mean, when you're on a team and you're not in sync and guys are in conflict with each other, you never produce the best result. You just don't. <clears throat> Marriages, every relationship, like business. And then ultimately, conflict can be destructive. It can actually tear things and people apart. Now, at the same time, conflict can be really helpful. 
It can actually be a really good thing. It can be instructive. It can be productive, actually. Anybody in here read the book, Good to Great? Anybody read that? Okay. It's a fantastic book. It's a business book. Just looking at companies that took off, companies that were really good, and then there were a few that just became great companies. And one of the things they found, that every one of those companies that became great had really good conflict. They provided a safe, and I think the vulnerable was one of the words, a safe, vulnerable place where you could throw out all your ideas and actually have conflict. And when you did that in a healthy way, it actually brings out a better result. And so conflict, but if you grew up in a home like mine and you hear the word conflict, it's like, that's bad. Fighting is always bad and we want to run from it. And some of you who grew up in conflict, now some of your conflict was bad and it was hurtful and painful. Some of you maybe, how many of you, I would, this would be interesting, how many of you who grew up in a, in a home that had conflict would say it was actually good conflict? Anybody have good conflict homes? Okay, man, you guys rock. Way to raise your hand in front of your parents. That's awesome. That's really, that is courageous. <laughs> no, but I just, I, I think right there is one of, in, in the fact that I would say only about five of you raised your hands is the reason we need to do this message today. Because if we aren't figuring it out, you are going to be in conflict. And if we aren't figuring out how to do it with love and make it actually productive and instructive and helpful, then you guys, there's no way that we can be everything that God created us to be on this planet. Okay? So this is a huge issue. So let let me just stop right there. Let's just pray. Because I, I think all of us need to receive something from God today to help us to understand what it really means to be involved. And I just, even as I pray and as we go through this message, maybe you can think about the person you're in conflict with right now and the person that you're struggling with. And we can figure out if love can come in there and make a difference. All right, let's pray. God, I just, uh, we just come before you today because we we really do believe with all of our heart that you are the one who's right. You are the one who's good that your wisdom is perfect, that your ways are right, that you are the one, Lord, who understands at the depth what it means for us to be human. You've created us, and you know what can produce within us a life that really works and a life that's full and glorious, a life that's productive and helpful, a life that brings you glory and blesses other people. And God, as we read the scriptures... It's very obvious as well that you have been in conflict. You know what it is to be in conflict. In the spiritual realms, there's an enemy who battles you every moment of every day. And even with your creation, with your people, you know what it is to be in conflict. So God, I want to just ask right now, because you also know every heart in this room. You know every person that's in their mind right now that they've thought of as soon as they think of who they're in conflict with. You know the situation, and you know what to do with it. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would just come into our midst and maybe surprise us again today by really speaking directly to our very need and what we need to hear from you. So we we ask for that. Give us ears to hear. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we can understand fully what it is to have earthly conflict but to have your love in the midst of it. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so let me just give you a quick uh, background before I jump into the passage today. We're in 2 Corinthians. Paul was the church planter of this church in Corinth. He started it. He brought it together. So he was their pastor. He was a very important person in their life. But the Corinthian church, if you read 1 Corinthians, there's two books in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. If you read 1 Corinthians, you're going to see that there were a lot of problems in this church. There was a lot of immorality. There was some stuff that Paul was just going, man, if you're the church, you just can't live this way. And then there was a lot of uh, practices in their worship services that were just kind of goofy, that were way outside the line of what God, what God would entail. And so Paul had to step in. He said, hey, the way you guys are doing your services is out of line. And then there was this group of people that came in when Paul would leave because he was a missionary. He planted the church. He started it, but then he was constantly on the move. And while he was gone, another group of people came in and they were teaching the Corinthians things that just weren't true. And they were really trying to tear down Paul's authority. And so, so there was a lot of conflict going on here in the midst between Paul and the Corinthians. Because Paul was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what's right. I'm going to live for God. And I'm so, I, I can't let you live the way you're doing. Your worship services. And now you have these people who are actually moving you to believe something that is completely different. And if you think wrongly about God then really it influences everything else you do. So, so that's where we find this deal. And today specifically too, because I, I want to be really faithful to the passage. Today specifically, what we're going to look at is how do you handle this type of conflict where you look at another person and you know that what they're doing is wrong. <laughs> when what they're doing is potentially destructive for themselves or someone else when you know that what they're doing is outside the ways of God, okay? How do you handle a situation like that? And then secondly, how do you handle a situation if somebody actually comes to you and has the courage and the guts to let you know that they believe something in your life is not right and that it's not in line with God? How do you respond to that, okay? Now, as I've been thinking about this, while I was in, Cal- I was in California with Eric Winter and uh, Mark DeMiglio doing some training on community transformation, and as I started to think about our community, I-, I tell you, one of the things that just hit me so much, and it's so critical today, and that is the relationship between parents and their children. Uh, I just, I-, I keep hearing things, more general statistics that the generations coming up are really, really struggling. And you guys, one of the things, so, and I want to tell you, as I thought through this message here today, if you're a parent, you know over and over and over again, you see your kids doing something that you know isn't right. And how do you handle that? How do you engage in that type of conflict? Okay? And as well, if you're on the receiving end of that, how do you respond? Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. So let's go ahead. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 today. And um, the uh, passage will be up on the screen if you, if you didn't bring your Bibles. But if you have them, uh, that's great because you can grab a pen and mark them up, make little notes, and, and uh, uh, get into your own, your own scriptures there. Okay, let's start with verse 2. Paul says, make room for us in your hearts. Make room for us in your hearts. So just watch this as I read through these next verses. See how important the relationship Paul has with the Corinthians, okay? Watch this. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, and we have exploited no one. So again, Paul's trying to, come on, I know these guys are lying about me, and you know the truth about me. 
I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, about your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So here's the first thing I want to tell you. When you're engaged in conflict, and especially with someone where you feel like you need to engage, where you need to maybe bring some light into the situation, like Paul did, because that's what he did. He goes, I've, I love you guys. I would live and I would die with you. I, my heart is so open to you, and now I'm saying, open your heart to mine. So here's the first thing, if you're in a situation with conflict, is you've got to be motivated by love. You must be motivated by love. If conflict is not going to be hurtful and painful and destructive, but instead instructive and productive, then it's got to be motivated by love. So just again, look at some of the statements. Make room for us in your hearts. Paul makes sure, he's making sure that the Corinthians know, my heart is yours and I want to be connected to you. You have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have confidence in you. I take pride in you. And my joy was greater than ever. Why? You know why Paul's joy was greater? He says, because I found out that you actually longed for me too. <laughs> I found out that you were actually concerned for me. So Paul's like, okay, great. I want to see relationship happen. He loved these guys so much. And here's, we got to really understand what love is, you guys. If you love somebody, then you are always wanting the best for them. You are always other-centered. You're looking at the person and you're saying, I want what's best for you. And the second thing that Paul wanted with them, which is critical if you're actually going to go into conflict with somebody and make it helpful, is what you're saying is, I want real relationship with you. I want what's best for you and I want real relationship with you. Now, uh, Brad Olson, he's down south teaching this message. And when we were talking about this together, he, he brought up a great question. I mean, how many times have you guys thought, have been in a situation where you know that if you even enter into that, it's probably just going to cause conflict and explosion. And you just, how many of you have sat there in that moment right there where you go, okay, if I engage, it's going to be horrible, right? Okay, why do it? See, that's where I grew up in my family. So why go there? You know, let's just keep everything as it is. You know, really pseudo and shallow. And, you, and, and, and this is why. Because if you're a disciple of Christ, let me just talk to all you guys who follow Jesus here today. If you follow Jesus, that means what you're saying is, I want to be like him. And Jesus never, ever skirted this issue. You know why? Because he always wanted what was best for every person. He wants what's best for you. And God wants real relationship with you. Real relationship with you. And if you're a disciple of Christ, then what he's going to ask you to, and I'm telling you, this is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm living this stuff out every day of my life. Growing up as someone who's supposed to skirt conflict, man, to jump into it is tough for me. But I'm telling you, it must be motivated 
by love. And Paul demonstrates us for this. For this. So let me just give you some application on this. Okay? First one is this. If you, if you don't, don't act, and the first application is this. Don't even act if it's not going to be out of love. Okay? Now, some of you, you don't have a problem with, with skirting conflict. Some of you actually like it. Some of you, it's just, that's your nature. You're going to go in and you just, you, you, you grew up in probably a home that had it a lot and it's just second nature. You just kind of go into it. And so one of the most important things that we need to understand is you don't engage in the conflict. You don't bring it up unless you're motivated by love. Read 1 Corinthians 13, okay? Because you can have the tongues of men's and angels. You can have all the right motives. You can do, and Paul just says, you can do all these great things. And if you don't have love, you're what? Okay, if that was good. If you don't have love, you're? Okay, three of you. Okay, the word is nothing. Okay, let, let's try that again. If you don't have love, you're? Nothing. Okay. I, I'm telling you, probably two years ago, I was sitting out having my own time with God. And I was thinking about all the stuff that I'm engaged in, all the relationships I do, all the stuff as a pastor that you do for the church. And I was just reminded on that day, and Nelson, if you do any of that without love, you're nothing. So I just want to tell you right now, don't justify your action of being a truth teller if it's not motivated out of love. Now, can I tell you, let's take this to marriage for a second, all right? I tell you, one of the hardest things for me with marriage is this is knowing when to say something and when not to say something. Anybody relate? Okay, I mean, I just, I know early on with Susan and I, it was just, there, that's, man, you got to learn that, and we're all different, right? Because there are times where you just better shut up. And then there's times where if you don't say something, then what it's doing is it's just, it's mustering up inside of you, and it's growing up, and next thing you know, the littlest thing happens, and you go... <laughs> You know, and you just, it's just, you just, and it's because you didn't say anything. So you got to know when to say something and when not to say something. But I remember, I remember early on, I can't remember what the conflict was, but I knew for sure in that moment that the whole reason I wanted to engage in that thing had nothing to do with Susie's best interest. It had to do with mine. And thank God by his grace, I remember just shutting up and I had to spend days praying God, get me to the place where I'm going to share this out of love because I'm not going to do it until I'd have that in my heart. And, he, and, it, and eventually it came. And I knew that now when I say it, I actually am, because I was concerned about me for days. And then as soon as I knew I could share it because I cared about her and our marriage, then I could speak it. You have to be motivated by love, you guys, or it causes a mess. The same thing with parenting. And I, I tell you, I don't know... This is way harder for me in the parenting realm than it is in marriage. I, everybody's different. But my, my biggest struggle is, man, I am just, I'm just quick with my kids. And lots of times I'm not taking the time just to go, okay, was that discipline motivated out of love? No, it was total frustration, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but I'm telling you, it's just scary to me. Dads, fathers, you know, for us today on this day to remember it's the weirdest thing to me. But that almost all of us, our view of God comes from our view and our relationship with our dad. And see, and so, man, I, I, wanna, I know God has no problem engaging with me on my stuff. I should have no problem engaging with my kids. 
the man to make sure that it comes out of love. In fact, this is really interesting. Colossians chapter 3, verses 19 and 21. Since it's Father's Day, let me just kind of hit Hannah's dads for a sec. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Isn't that interesting? I just saw it. It's really interesting. Out of, and that's all he says, one little phrase. But when he talks about men, he says, Love them and don't be harsh with them. I think he knows something about our nature. Something in most men is a desire to be quick and we can be harsh. And then verse 21, talking about kids, he goes, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. I just, I, I, I just read that. I thought, how interesting, as we're talking about conflict today, that the Bible knows something about men. We can be pretty harsh and we can embitter. We can cause embitterment in other people. In fact, in Ephesians, when it talks about the kids, it says, don't exasperate them. And I, I just know that that can be in our nature. And so, you guys, we've got to make sure that we actually have a motivation of love. Can I just tell you, this is why I need to spend time with God every day. Every day. Now, I don't do it every day. But I'm seeking to. And here's why. Because I need his love in my heart for my wife and for my kids and for anybody else that I might run into. Because I'm quick. And he's not. He's slow to anger. And, and so I need him. Because if I'm not engaged, if I'm not daily getting God and his love into my heart, then when conflict arises, I'll be quick. And then you guys have all done it, right? You've, you've, you've said the word and the damage has been done and you so want to grab that word and stick it back in your mouth and you can't. And so got to be motivated by love. Don't act without love. Um, and let me just say this last thing on that. So if you don't have it, I already, I gave the illustration, but pray for it, you guys. If you're in the conflict and you don't love the other person, pray to God to get the love. Okay? This is, okay. I'm telling you, it works. This is the difference between following a Christian religion where you try to follow its practices and you can't. And religion starts to be really overbearing. It's really different to say, come on, love, come on, love. And you go, I just don't. It's really different to actually have the living God who loves the person you're in conflict with, right? He does, right? To actually give you his love for them. Romans 5 says that he pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he's given us. I'm telling you, you're in a conflict right now and you don't love the other person, confess it to God. Confess it to God. And then ask him for his love. Ask him day after day after day after day. And it's, it's a real transaction where he can give you his love. It's not just a theory. It's not just a principle to follow. God can give you his love. All right? All right. I got to go. Don't act without love. The second thing that Paul does, if you're going to engage into a conflict, is bring encouragement. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. And, and I, just, I just think that so much of the time, especially, again, if it's in your marriage or if it's in your parenting with your kids or if you're at work or anybody, you guys, but actually bring something positive into the deal before you bring the hard thing that you need to say to them. And, I, and the last thing I would say is this, is share the intention of your relationship. Share the intention of your relationship. Come on, you guys, if you're in a marriage 
and you're going to engage them into a conflict, how different is it if you just come right at them, react? There's total difference between reacting and responding. How different is it if you just react to the situation, engage in conflict without love, versus sitting down with the person who you do love and reminding them, listen, we have to engage in this. I have to share this with you because I want our marriage to be the best that it can be. See, Susie does this well. I'll, I'll just tell her, she does. There are times where she's had to tell me stuff and she agonized. She doesn't want to do it. But when she does it, she always says, but here's why I'm telling you this. And I'm like, oh boy, right here it comes. But at least I'm, I know she's doing this because she loves me. If you really have to go into your kids and say a really hard thing, make sure that you tell them, you're sharing with them the intention of your relationship. I got to tell this with you because I love you. Because I want you and I to have the best thing. One of the most difficult conflicts I had in my life, I think the reason that the reconciliation happened so well is because I finally realized the reason I'm going to go into this because I want our relationship to be the best that it can be. All right, you guys, I, I think I beat the horse well enough. You got it? Be motivated by love. You're a disciple of Christ. You love him and you want relationship, real relationship. All right? Second one is this, is be motivated to act. Be motivated to act. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 says this. Paul goes, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Okay, so basically, you guys, what, what you need to understand here is, uh, well, let me just say this. Sometimes, some of us actually need to be careful to not act out of love, okay? Because some of us have a tendency to act not out of love. But some of us need to be careful to act out of love, all right? That we, we all are in one of these camps. Some of us go in and we go, man, I didn't do it with love. And others of us don't ever go in, right? Because you're fearful of it. So be, be motivated by love, but you guys be also, you got to be motivated to act. When I read this passage, this was so helpful for me to watch Paul. Let me just, let me show you a couple verses back in, in chapter two that we looked at previous. Paul says this, he goes, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you whom I have grieved? If I grieve you, then who's left to make me glad but you whom I've grieved? In other words, what Paul is saying, he goes, if I actually, because this was all about this really nasty letter, right? Paul had to write this letter to help them to see that their life was way off. And, but he was, what I love about this was Paul was regretting writing the letter. He goes, I did not want to write this letter because if I hurt you, then who's going to bring me joy? And what I realized with this, Paul loved these guys so much that he knew that if he hurt them, he was going to hurt. Okay? Can we talk parenting? Right there? I mean, seriously. So much the time. Okay. I just, I, man, I feel like I need to share. Some of you guys, you, your relationship with your kids is so important to you. And you need them to like you. And you need them to get along with you. And because of that, the behavior you see in your children that you know if it continues on is going to destroy their life and you're not saying anything. 
and you're letting them do it. Now, I want to tell you, I, I think the reason is the same reason Paul struggled. He goes, if I grieve you, who's going to be left to bring me joy? And, and it's the same thing with marriage. Sometimes we don't want to actually have a real relationship with our spouse because if we do, it's going to cause some conflict. And if I cause you pain, then I'm going to be in pain and I don't want to be in pain. And so we don't act. And then we have no good relationship with our kids. And we allow them to go down a path that eventually is going to bring destruction in their life. We have no real relationship with our spouse. And we walk in and we do the pseudo happy, you know, kind of thing where we're okay. And you know it's not okay. And see, this is where God just says, that's not okay to me. I want you to really love and I want you to have real relationship. But man, this is hard for Paul. But here's what I realized. He, he said this, and listen, listen to this other verse. In 2 Corinthians 2.4, he says, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Here's what I loved about this passage for me. Paul loved these guys, just like the people who you may have in your life that you love. And he knew, if I write this letter, I may lose my relationship with these people. And he wrote the letter. He wrote the letter. And I love what he says. Man, and he did it with distress and anguish of heart and many tears. But he said, and I didn't write this letter to grieve you. I wrote this letter to show you, to let you know the depth of my love for you. You know, this is so good for me. Because I want to tell you, man, there's so many times. I don't know if it's, I think we're all in this boat. I might have it a little bit more as a pastor. Is the opportunity to help someone see something in their life <laughs> that's destroying it. And the question I have to ask myself, and you have to ask yourself, is do you really love that person so that you let them know the depth of your love for them? Or do you love yourself more? And you want to just candy coat things because you don't want to deal with the potential of having some grief in your own heart. Man, I tell you, this is real stuff. And, and some of us, again, you don't have problem with conflict and you need to have love, but I'm, I, I, I fall more on the other line. Conflict's hard for me and I will have a tendency to want to protect myself instead of really love some people. So let me just, let me give you a few struggles. If you're in the boat where you don't like conflict and you're not actually sharing the truth with some people that you need to, Here's a few struggles. The first one I just said, I am so tempted with self-protection. And I just realized that. When I'm struggling to actually share a truth with another person, the whole reason is because of me. I want to protect my own heart and I want to protect the potential for a harmful thing in that relationship. You guys, if you struggle with that, just realize you're really thinking about yourself. It's not love. It's not love. It might look like because you look really nice, Right? Oh, what a nice guy. He's never in conflict. Well, for me, for years, that was because I had to protect myself. I've shared this with you guys before, but when I was 27 years old, God spoke to me so clearly one day where he said, no more, Mr. Nice Guy. I don't want you to be nice to people anymore. I want you to love them. And there's a big difference. I'm supposed to be kind always. 
but my kindness is because I care for you. Niceness is usually because I'm thinking about me. And I just want to protect myself, okay? So no self-protection. Another struggle, and this is a big one for me, is lots of times what I try to do is I go, okay, well, if I'm going to engage in this, if I'm going to share something, then I want to figure out how to share it so that it'll actually end up really good, right? And then if I go through every scenario and it never comes out good, you guys ever been there? Like you think through everything and, okay, if I say it like this, oh, no. Oh, maybe if I take this angle, no, that'll be really bad. What if I do this? And you do all your paths and you go, they're all going to be bad. You know what I do? Then I don't do anything. And you don't act. And again, then you didn't love. Golly, this is so hard. And here's, what, here's what's important, you guys. It wasn't Paul's responsibility to get the Corinthians to respond correctly. It was his responsibility to write the letter. Okay, let me say that for many of you in this room. Because some of you are so codependent and some of you have to be so involved in making sure that everything falls right for the other person. You need to know right now, it is not your responsibility to make sure that your action makes people respond correctly. It's your responsibility to do the right thing. It's your responsibility to love them. Paul had to write the letter because he loved them. He grieved, he wept, he regretted it, he didn't want to do it, but because he follows Jesus and because he loved him and because he wanted real relationship with him, he wrote the letter. (laughs) So if you ever get stuck and you're paralyzed like me, where you go, man, I can't figure out how to make this good, I just remember God just said, that's not your job, Nelson. You're trying to be God. You just do the right thing and let me handle the results. Some of you today just need to do the right thing. The third one is this, is, well, what if they don't respond well, <laughs> right? And we, it's kind of tied into the same thing. But the Corinthians could have responded negatively. And so what do you do? Because I think the same thing, let's say you, you share love and the person doesn't respond well. You know, how do you, how do you handle that? You guys, you know what the coolest thing is? Uh, the Bible's really helpful here. You guess what Jesus did? When he shared really hard truth with somebody and they didn't respond well. Do you guys know what he did? He let them go. He let him go. You guys know the prodigal son story? I, did, I think I just shared this. Comes, up, comes to his father and goes, hey, dad, I want my whole inheritance and I want to just run off and do my own thing. What'd the father do? Go for it. Go ahead. Ruin your life and find out how bad it is and then come home and when you come home, I'll embrace you, right? Rich young ruler. Man, I, I want eternal life. What do I got to do? Well, you have to actually sell everything and give it to the poor. I uh, can't do that. Jesus, okay, yeah, that was a little hard. Just sell part of it to the poor. You know, because Jesus really wanted people to follow him. No, what did Jesus do go? Okay, if you can't do that, can't follow me. See ya. And he just left him. I mean, this guy is like, man, if you, if you have issues because you want to be connected to everybody, you need to read the Bible and see Jesus go, go ahead. It's not your responsibility. It's theirs. And that is a tough thing. Okay, so those are the struggles. Divine love is always motivated for the other person's best interest. And divine love always acts. Okay? You guys, if you're going to be in conflict in those things, you've got to understand if you're going to bring divine love into it. Okay? Now, let's close with a third one. And that's this. Let's switch to end, this, to, to end, uh, end of the message. What do you do if somebody actually has the courage to bring up something in your life that's not right? And it's not good. And here's the, here's the third point. You need to be motivated to change. 
You need to be motivated to change. Okay? Let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. If we can throw that up on the screen, that'd be great. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, that's not it. That's chapter 8. Okay, here we go. Chapter 7, verse 9. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Okay, you guys, when someone actually comes to you with something, if you're sitting here in church someday and God starts to speak to your heart and he actually starts to reveal something inside you that's not right, how are you going to respond? And I want to say, be motivated to change. Because all of us, every one of us in this room, there's no Jesus in here. We're all human. We've all got our stuff. But what's great, what we've been teaching you for the last few weeks is that Jesus Christ came into this world to take care of the sin issue, to bring you back into a relationship with God so that his Holy Spirit could come inside you, as we learned a couple weeks ago, so that you could become a new creation, so that the old would be gone and the new would come. And that you'd be transformed, the ministry of the Spirit of God inside you transforms you with an ever-increasing glory into the image of Christ so that I can actually live on this planet like Jesus did. I would actually love people and want real relationships with people. I would actually engage. I wouldn't be codependent. I wouldn't be caught up in all this kind of stuff. I'd live in a real way. I would live in truth and grace with people. That's what he's saying here. And so when someone comes to you, I don't know about you, but man, when someone comes to me normally, okay, can we all agree on here? What's your first response if somebody likes to reveal something wrong in your life? What's your first response? Man, defensiveness, aren't you? Like, like, who do you think you are? You know, I mean, just, I mean, you just, your face gets tight. You're just, man, none of us like to be shown anything that's wrong inside of us. But what we have to do is come to a place And what the Bible talks here, he says, we need godly sorrow. So let me just share with you. I think there's three ways that we usually respond. The first one is this, and it's not in the passage, but it's all through the Bible. The first one is you'll harden your heart. You'll harden your heart. Somebody will come to you with something, and your immediate reaction is what I just said. (laughs) And you get angry, and you get bitter, and you say, forget you. And you guys, the Bible says that too much of humanity does this to God. When God starts to reveal things in our life, many times we just say, no. And every time you say, no, your heart gets harder towards God, not softer. Okay? I just had to throw that in there. It's not in the passage, but it's just all too true because it's all through the Bible. So if somebody comes to you with something, man, the first thing is don't just go, no. Okay? It takes a lot, a lot a lot of humility to actually respond when somebody has something to share with you, okay? Now, first thing he says is this, is sometimes you can respond with worldly sorrow. 
worldly sorrow. Okay? You're doing something that's wrong. You're not living the way you should, and somebody actually brings it to light. What's worldly sorrow? The best way I can describe it, you guys, it's, it's when you're sorry because you got caught. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it, just, it just stinks because now I can't do what I want to do anymore. Seriously, sometimes the sorrow is because I can't keep living this life. Sometimes the sorrow is when it gets brought into light. Your worldly sorrow is when you're sorry for those consequences, okay? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, man. Now I don't have that anymore. Now I can't be like this. Now I don't have... The consequences are what makes you sad. It's that things won't be as they used to be anymore. And you're sorry for that. You feel a lot of sorrow. And then some of you, you you just get way too... um, well, you like to beat yourself up. I will have a tendency to do this. Somebody brings something up, and the first thing you do is go, God, I suck. I, I stink. I'm bad. And you're just, whoosh, whoosh, you know, and you're just beating yourself up, and you feel incredible amounts of shame, and you feel condemnation, and that's God, that is worldly sorrow right there. You're sorry that you can't be who you need to be, and it just weighs on you, and you just want to abandon the relationship. You want to quit trying to live life, and it just sucks the life right out of you guys. Worldly sorrow. Oh, I hate the consequences. I hate the fact that I'm caught. I hate the fact that I'm a bad person. And the next thing you know, is it what does it say? Worldly sorrow leads to what? Death. Okay? Thank God there's another way. And there's godly sorrow. And you guys, I think the one way to say it is I think godly sorrow. So, so your, your, your wrong action, your, your, your negativity gets brought to the light. And I think what happens with godly sorrow is you finally have the sorrow that God has. You're actually sorry. And here's the difference. You're actually sorry for the sin itself. Not the consequences of it. Not what it produced. You actually hate the sin. And I'm telling you, we've all been there in different places where you, anybody, you don't need to raise your hand because I know we're all been there. And that is when you're doing something and you know it's wrong and you don't hate it. And, but when godly sorrow comes in, you hate the sin. And what's amazing, in verse 9, Paul said that God intended for you to feel this sorrow. And it's, that's, it's a total different deal. Because now you hate the thing that's before God that's wrong. And here's what's interesting, is the verse says that godly sorrow brings repentance. You know what that word actually is? It works repentance. When you have godly sorrow, it works. You can't help it almost. It causes you to turn. So you're on the receiving end. Somebody's had the courage and your stuff has been brought to the light. And if you hate the consequences or you hate all that, uh, if you have worldly sorrow, then you, you, it's weird. You don't change. You just shrink or your heart gets hard. But when you actually hate the sin, it says it works in you, change. It changes you. And you guys, this, I, I, so, I, I so want this. And what's weird, in my own life, I shared this back in December, there was stuff in my life that I knew wasn't good, and yet I didn't hate it. I didn't have godly sorrow over it. 
But I'm telling you, once the godly sorrow came, it was a change immediately. You won't be the same. You will turn to God. And when you turn to God, it says it leaves no regret. You know why? Because when you turn to God, he says, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's no condemnation. See, it's you guys who are just, I can't, don't anybody tell me I'm wrong because, man, that's why the gospel is such good news. Because godly sorrow produces the stuff inside you that says, oh, this is horrible. This, this hurts my relationship with my wife. This makes me not a good dad. It makes me a bad pastor. And, and when that gets realized and you confess it to God, there's no regret because you know he's forgiven you for it. And you can actually turn and change and be different. Now, last thing, how do you produce godly sorrow? Because wouldn't that be great? If you could just, when, when stuff was in your life that wasn't wrong, you actually had godly sorrow and it caused, it worked within you something. Okay, three quick things. The first one is I don't get it. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how to push the button of godly sorrow. You'll be caught in a sin. And it's like, man, I really don't care. And I just keep doing it. And, I, and you want, it's like <laughs> pushing the button. It didn't work I just want to tell you, sometimes I think godly sorrow is purely a gift from God. Sometimes I think he just, he gives it to you. And you know, man, when God makes you hate your sin, you hate it. And you change. But I will say this. It's a gift from God. But sometimes I do know that you can make a conscious decision to hate it. And what I'll do when I know my heart isn't feeling godly sorrow is I'll share it with another person. Get your sin in light to another person. And I'm telling you what, the power of it breaks. It's huge. Sometimes I just obey God because I know that this is wrong. And even though I might not feel like following God, I can still make a choice with my will to follow him. And I'll confess my sin to God, confess it to somebody else, and I'll believe in the gospel that he's forgiven me, and I'll move forward by faith. By faith, because I believe in God. And some of you guys need to do that today. You just need to go, you know what? I gotta believe the gospel is true, even though I feel so much shame. The shame is not from God. Forgiveness and cleansing is from God. The last thing is this, you guys. Sometimes I ask for it. This is the other thing. I I pray for love for other people. The other thing I ask God is say, God, I don't hate this sin. Please give me godly sorrow. Give me your sorrow in my heart. And I'll ask and I'll ask and I'll ask. And I'm telling you, God is gracious and he will give you the sorrow that you need. So ask him for it. All right? So here's what I got for you. There's a card laying on your seat as we close today. And um, we're going to listen to a song um, as we close. And I just want you to take, take a moment. And while we're listening to this song, I just want you to maybe think about if God today has revealed somebody in your mind that you know you actually need to love today. Is there a conflict that you actually know by sitting here today that the Spirit's been working in your heart and he's saying you need to engage in this? And you need to love this person. And if there is, then I want you to write their name down. If there's somebody that you're in conflict with and you just don't love them, you need to write their name down. And you need to lay this before God and say, God, I don't love this person. Give me your 
love. Give me your love. And for those of you who need to act, write down the person's name that you're going to take an action on. And for some of you, you're sitting there and you know you've been the recipient of it and you just need to ask God to give you godly sorrow. You might need to write down on your, this is your card. Don't, don't anybody peek on somebody's paper. You might need to write down on your card the things that you've been brought to your attention so that you can lay these before God and say, God, please give me the godly sorrow that would work repentance in me, that will work change in me. I want to live the full life that you have for me. All right? So let's do this. This, this song, you guys, that we're going to listen to, it just says, when all the love in the world is right here among us and hatred too, we must choose what our hands will do. We must choose what our hands will do. Where there's pain, let there be grace. Where there's suffering, bring serenity. For those afraid, help them to be brave. In other words, what this song is talking about, you guys, is the love of God in our hearts that can engage in conflict can bring about change in the other person's life and in yours. Let's change the world, okay? So let's listen to this and just have a time of prayer with God as we do.